Welcome to the Lewis and Broad podcast, streaming from the corner of Lewis and Broad Street here in LaGrange, Georgia. Lewis and Broad is a storytelling podcast where we share the lives and tales of people and local organizations from our small town. My name is Leighton Parker, the director of Lewis and Broad, and here are your hosts, Pastor James Goodlett and Pastor Jan Tolbert. Welcome, everybody, to the Lewis and Broad podcast. This is episode number 11, broadcasting to you from the corner of Lewis and Broad Streets, downtown LaGrange, Georgia. As always, it's a bit gray outside on this Monday afternoon. It's raining here. No, it's a little icy in other parts of the south, a little snowy in some other parts, but we didn't get any of that. We don't really get that much here, do we, We Jan? don't have anything to complain about with a little rainy and a little gray. I think our friends out in the southwest... Um, they're kind of snowed in. They really are. Uh, that is, of course, my good friend and colleague, the Reverend Jan Stewart Tolbert. As always, sitting between us at the head of the table, exactly where she should be, is the very hopeful Leighton Parker. That's her adjective for this week is hopeful. And I think hopeful, we all need it. We need it desperately. We need it bad. And... uh some of the stuff we're going to be talking about today, I think is really, really hopeful. It's been very, very hard. It's been a heck of a year, but it's been amazing. I find great hope in in the story we will be sharing with you today. We'll get to that in a second, but let's bear in mind, first of all, what time of year it is. Tomorrow is Mardi Gras, which means what's coming right after that? Let's see, that would be Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. What is Ash Wednesday? It always comes around so fast. It's like it's Christmas, and then it's not Christmas, and then it's Lent. No, it's like uh, Christ is born, and then we have to deny ourselves. Wah, wah. It's like Debbie Downer, kind of. But for those of our listeners who might not know exactly what Ash Wednesday is and Lent, Jan... Yes. Fill us in. Okay, so Ash Wednesday has been around and uh, part of the life of the church, capital C, probably since the third century. And uh, this whole period leading up to Easter was a time for self-examination, for reflection, to to think about our mortality. Um, It was also a time of preparation for candidates for baptism in the early church, and they would then be baptized on Easter. But we begin the season of Lent with ashes because in Scripture, ashes are a sign of mortality, and ashes also are a sign of penitence and repentance. It's a, it's a real important symbol, and it's become real important, I think, in the life of First Presbyterian Church. But this year, while we're going to worship on Ash Wednesday, we will not be imposing ashes or doing anything other with ashes other than remembering that we come from dust, and we shall return to dust. In life and in death, we belong to God, right? That's exactly the final word. It's roughly a 40-day period. It's meant to mirror or bring to mind the, the number 40. When you see or read that number, hear that number in, in the Bible, 40 makes you think of wilderness. Jesus spent 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness where he was tempted, a uh, 40-year sojourn in the wilderness for God's people. So it's kind of a wilderness period, as Jan said, to prepare us uh, for the Easter season. So that starts on Wednesday. And actually, here at First Presbyterian Church, 
Uh, we are doing our first in-person worship service. We are returning to the sanctuary this Wednesday. And if you are interested in joining us for that service, you can contact our church office via our website at fpclagrange.org. Because of COVID times, we do have to limit the number of people right. who are in the sanctuary to 50. But if you would like to attend, we are taking reservations, which please understand, we do not like the, the word reservations when it comes to worship. It's just a function of the times and We'd love to see y'all there. Or if you can't make it, join us via live stream at our website, fpclagrange.org. Speaking of our website, I do want to say thanks to everybody who has listened, subscribed to this podcast. Again, this is episode number 11. We are growing. People are sharing this. We are grateful for y'all and would ask that you continue to do so. We're here just to tell the stories, the amazing stories of what's happening, not only in this community, but beyond it. Maybe some of our listeners who are not in Troop County or in LaGrange can relate to some of these stories and learn from it. If you'd like to engage us in our conversations about what we're doing, please do so and look up Lewis and Broad on Instagram and Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. This week, we have a fantastic story written by a church member here at First Presbyterian, Judy Gillum. Judy is a published children's book author, but she did a fantastic story today on faith on the front lines, and I hope that you'll read it. fpclagrange.org slash Lewis and Broad. It's a really, really it's powerful a, story. It's an excellent story. And it actually informs what we're going to be talking about here today. Sitting in my left, we are honored to have Michelle Williams with us. Michelle is the Director of Rehabilitation at Wellstar West Georgia. Now, when she came in today, she was thinking, oh gosh, what am I in for here? But I am beholden to behave because Michelle is also my wife's boss at work. <laughs> so she holds that over me, I reckon. So I have to be good. But Michelle, it is so good to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Michelle, before we jump right in and, and talking about what faith looks like on the front lines of this thing. Tell our listeners a little bit about what your job is and, and what it looked like before March of 2020. What was a typical day or a typical week for somebody who worked at the hospital like yourself? So I have responsibility for rehab services in the hospital, the two nursing homes that Wellstar has, Twin Fountains and Florence Home, and the outpatient department. So prior to March of 2020, in order to interact with all the various departments, I was rarely in my office. I was out and about meetings, talking to people, seeing coworkers throughout the hospital, um, seeing patients, rounding on patients, trying to touch the different departments just so I was interacting with them and that was kind of a, it was common for me. I mean, that's what I, I've been in this role for several years and 14 years this month, actually. I am a people person. I think your wife might would attest to that. And I like talking to people. I like having face-to-face -face interactions with the people that I work, that work in my departments and that in the other parts of the hospital. So that's what it would be like. It, 
I probably in the morning had two or three different meetings. We would have a huddle every morning where all the leaders of the hospital came together every single morning and we talked over safety issues. We went through patient care concerns and we did that and we all gathered in the hallway and we did that every morning. Well, that quickly stopped. So that was probably, that's how I remember and definitely miss that. So since uh, March, moving forward, how, how has everything changed? How's it looked? I think I can go through a day where I come up the, now that the cancer clinic is back open and I come up through the tunnel and go in my office, and there's some days that I never go past the cafeteria, and that's towards the front of the hospital. It's just because everything is virtual. All the meetings we have are virtual, that we still have the safety huddle every day, but it's held virtually. Um it's a much less moving about for me. I mean, there was when, when one of our nursing homes had a big uh, increase in numbers several months ago, they didn't want us in there. So we didn't, I didn't see those staff members for weeks. It was just talking to them. So now it's, a, I just feel much more isolated and the interaction is where the struggle is. That's interesting because I think that's how the whole world feels. Yes, right. That's yeah. right. Tell us about those early days when you realized this isn't just a new story about somewhere that's far away from here. This is coming. This is coming here. Right. And, and how you kind of triaged all that. You know, the, I can remember the March 13th. If I remember correctly, that was a Friday. And I remember on Wednesday when the very first case was in Troop County and it was a teacher. And my husband's a high school principal. So, you know, I was hearing it from his end and and I was like, wow, this is real. This is this is in Troop County. And when it when we first heard it back in December, I was like, oh, I would never make it to us. I'm, I am quite the optimist. Um, so I remember that. And I remember us meeting as leadership that day as a group and just kind of thinking and not really having any idea what we were about to go through. But just thinking about at that time we were we were trying to gather supplies because the amount of PPE that is used, the masks, the gowns, the gloves, I don't know the number, but I would suspect it's probably hundreds of times more than what we used prior to that. And a lot of it was supply talks. We, we went from meeting in the hallway to they moved us to the cafeteria, and they had all the leaders come in and sit in the cafeteria so we could space out, but yet every day. And we met twice a day for probably a month. And we would just talk about the immediate needs, we, um, which was really shocking. But one of the first conversations we started having was ventilators. How many ventilators were there? And it was a daily count. And that has continued the entire time. We get a count of how many are in use, how many are available. So I remember that. And then I remember us going from meeting in the cafeteria to quickly changing to virtual meetings and not seeing people in person. And these were leaders, some that I've worked with for 20-something years, and you go to seeing them every day to not seeing them. So I I do kind of recall as we went through and trying to disseminate the information down to the staff members of, you know, we went from, yes, mask are recommended to no, we don't need mask, and you guys can remember this, to no, yeah, we do need mask, and and what are we going to do in the outpatient setting? We never completely closed outpatient. We went to a bare bones um, staffing model down there just because people weren't coming in. But when they did, we, I mean, it was one person in the gym, and this gym is 1,200 square feet, and just trying to do our best to keep people safe and thinking about the ones that were still needing care, but um, just trying to keep them safe. 
and keeping the staff calm. I think um, I, I really try to be a filter to what comes to them to that because they are the ones that are on the front lines treating the patients, and we want them to be calm and to be able to give that care and as leaders to kind of buffer that a bit for them. It has gone on for, well, almost a year now. We're coming up on the year anniversary. Was there a point in time in your work where you realized we're in this for the long haul? This is a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. And looking back for me, I kept wanting to say it was around the corner. But every time we'd think we'd round a corner and see a light, it would get a little dimmer. Mm. And I, th- I think if you guys remember the numbers, we we didn't get the huge surge like we were anticipating back in the spring. And then I think people relaxed a bit and we had that surge in July. That was a pretty right. decent surge. And then we um, kind of went down a bit again, school picked up, people started going out and getting more involved and, and exposed. And then we started surging up and the numbers we saw, we saw in end of November, December, January, were just, they were amazing. I mean, not, not amazing in a good way. Right. I can remember the numbers one day where three fourths of the people in our hospital were COVID positive. And that's just, that's frightening. It is frightening frightening and it's frightening to leave that be in that each day and then come in and and frustratingly see the lack of concern for others that still kind of deny it a bit that was sometimes I just want to go up and shake people a bit and say come walk down the halls come and see what we're what's going on here and I think it would put a little realization in you yeah I mean it's interesting because in the story that Judy wrote and she talked to different workers at Wellstar West Georgia and that was a common theme that there seems to be a disconnect between what y'all experience and what people are aware of if there was something you could say to folks who are in the general public to to let them know listen this is real I mean, what how would you preach that gospel to them so to speak any way that you can put it, my we just went through. My mom was in there. And like most people, they don't really know where they got it. Um, mom is a healthy, late 60-year-old, fairly healthy, active, very active, comes positive, and goes in. And I don't think the realization hit her till she's there until she walked, left me in that waiting room and the emergency room, and all they did was get my cell number, and I'm employed. But I went by the same rules. I did not go with her. I mean, I didn't go in the room with her. And from that point, other than me gowning up and going in a couple times to take her some food, she saw no one that she knew. I mean, you see strangers coming in day in and day out. And if if you could take people like my mom to just tell people this is real, that the loneliness that you feel going in that hospital by yourself I can't, you can't put it into words. And that's the part I think people don't realize is the loneliness that these patients have to get through, whether they're COVID positive or not. Right. They're still in there by themselves. Tell me your mom got okay. She did. Good. She did. She came out, stayed on oxygen about a month. She's fine. She is. She's a, she's a feisty one. Good. Too, I'm thankful for yeah, that. Yeah, me too. We are too. Well, talking about how medical staff really had to become pastors and chaplains and family members and all of that. How Can you talk about how your own faith or how you saw faith on the front line informing staff members as they had to 
become so many things to so many people in distress? Right. You know, that's that's a great question because um, not everyone shares our same faith. Not everyone, not our coworkers, not the patients. True. They don't share the same faith we have, but I'm not afraid to show that I have that faith. And and to, and I often use the word Jesus, I think, as Margaret can attest to that. You know, and the, the way I'm using it in the word of love, and that's what I tell the staff, is love these people, love these patients, love your coworkers, because they're not getting that like they were. They don't have chaplains coming in to see them. They don't have family members coming to visit them. You are, you are the hands and feet of Christ, and you are the ones that are showing him to these people. So that's, I mean, I, we prayed together. You know, we would have prayer, and I offer anybody that wants to pray can, but we would pray and often say this is, you know, we just are your, we're here to serve and be your work, workers here. Because I think that's, in this time when we, I, I'm hopeful that when we come out of all this five years down the road, we can look back and say we did what we, only thing we need to do was love on these people. Right. I just can't imagine, though, how you handle it all. Jan and I are not in a dissimilar profession in the sense that we're in, I guess people call it the helping world. Right. So more often than not, well, I'm only going to speak for myself here, but when we have something that happens in our professional life, it's not like we can just leave it at the church door and then, hop in the car or go on a run and uh, everything's good. I mean, we take it home with us, internalize it. It stays with us. And I I can only imagine that y'all on the front lines have had that to an even greater degree than we have because of the things that you've experienced. I would agree. Yeah. I I don't say that we leave it. I don't think there's any way to walk away five o'clock in the day and say, okay, I'm leaving this here and I'm going home. But the thing that I do and I really encourage the staff to do is find ways to to just get a clear head. I tell them, take this stuff off, go outside, get some fresh air. Sometimes being in those rooms with all that stuff on for hours on the end, they, even, even though they can breathe, they get the feeling they can't breathe because mm-hmm. they've got these N95s on, they've got a gown, they've got a face shield on. And I tell them, take it off, go outside, get some fresh air, walk around, find something that calms your soul, just gives your heart and mind a time to breathe. So, and that's kind of what I do. I um, I try to stay active. I think exercise is, is probably my way of keeping my mind a little bit calm. And even though the connections have not been as many, because we're limited, still keeping those connections. I think that's what people have felt, at least the people I've talked to, the loss of connection has been huge. And you still got to tap into it, whether it's obviously fewer people, but still got to keep those connections. And that's what I encourage people to do in the and the staff at the hospital. What do you feel like, Michelle, this whole year and beyond has changed? The pandemic is not over. There are vaccines being disseminated, which is wonderful, but this marathon is not over. So I guess we're, we're still right in the middle of it. So it's hard to get that 30,000 foot view and think, okay, I have some perspective now. What is your sense of what this thing has changed or is changing? I think there's a few ways to look at that. One thing that keeps coming in my mind, and we talked about this at one, it was Christmas or Thanksgiving at lunch, is that it's in a sense been a great pause, and I've heard someone else say that. And not that we're not running around crazy, but it's it gave 
a vast majority of us a chance to step back. And, and when you were forced to stay at home, all those days and weeks it drug into, and for a lot of America, they're still home, just gave you a chance to see what's important, see where your values lie, see where you want to spend, whether you're 20 looking ahead or 80 looking back and not as many days ahead. What do you value? And where, do you, where are you putting your time and energy in what you value? I think that's the biggest change I've seen personally, and I hope that we don't lose sight of that, the positives. You know, I, I tell the staff when they're frustrated. I ran into one this morning so frustrated because she couldn't get a chair appropriate to put a patient in to be able to try to work on getting them to stand. I listened and tried, tried to help her problem solve, and at, at lunchtime I said, you know, find the positive. Let's, what She got up. That patient got up for the first time and sat up, and she really hadn't been out of bed very much. So we didn't get her standing, but we got her upright. So that's the one thing I always say is find a positive. Find a positive when we walk away from here. It's much easier to look at the negatives, but that's the one thing I think at the end of this that I hope we all can look back and find the positives that that will come out of it. I think that's such a great perspective. One of the things that has kept me hopeful during the whole thing is just exactly knowing that there are people like you there are others like you who are at the hospital and who are who are doing those things. Some people use the word hope, kind of like, oh, I hope it doesn't rain, or oh, I hope it, you know. But for me, hope is, is really a theological term, and it's more than just wishful thinking. I want to tell you how much I appreciate your hopefulness uh, during Thank this cr- crisis, but also as you look, uh, as you look forward. What are some things, Michelle, that we could do as a church, as individuals, as a community, to be helpful to the frontline workers? You know, the little things make a difference. Um, I think Margaret and, and James brought cookies. Those little things make a difference. The little cards here and there. Not, there was a lot that came through last week because it was Valentine's Day. But just the little things, a little note of encouragement to a particular area, just to say thank you. I mean, those those were big and often, and they were coming coming through quite often to begin with, but those have dwindled quite a bit, and the challenge has not dwindled. Right. So I think those little things, it doesn't really take a lot of resources to drop a card to, to someone. If you've got a neighbor, if you've got a friend that's in health care, just a little card to say, hey, we thank you for getting up and going every day, getting up and continuing to go back. I think those are big, just little thoughtful mm-hmm. appreci- modes of, I mean, ways of showing appreciation. That's good to know. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I worked hard on those cookies. I, <laughs> I got, I churned the butter for the cookies. I I've eaten, harvested I've, the I've, the chocolate. I've eaten at your house, James. I know, <laughs> I know how food gets on the table. Thank you, Jan. Well, listen. Speaking of, of that, thank you. I, I can't encourage our listeners enough to read the story that is on right. fpclagrange.org slash Lewis and Barrage. Judy does such an amazing job of, of talking to a number of frontline workers about their experiences. And it's, it's eye-opening. It is, and it's, it's very moving. She titled it Long and Lonely Fight. It will not leave you uh, feeling down. I mean, it, I think it's uplifting, but it's really eye-opening. And, and we cannot forget, just because, and I said it earlier, 
vaccines are going out right now. We cannot forget about the work that is ongoing here. And I would hope that one thing that comes out of this for us, uh, whenever that day comes, thanks be to God, is, is even a further appreciation for the work that does happen in our hospitals, um, medical care, 24-7, 365. They give so much of themselves. It is, in my mind, no less a calling than what you and I do. Oh, it, absolutely it is. That they put so much on the line. And, of course, it garners more attention now with the pandemic and right. and all the bells and whistles that go along with that and all the clothing and all the PPE and all that stuff. Um, but they do this all the time. This is their this is their vocation. This is their calling. This is what they do, and we. I hope we will not lose sight of that. And Michelle, you and your team are right there, right there in the midst of it all. And we are grateful for y'all, and we are grateful that you have come on here and shared a little bit of your story. And I hope that we are all inspired to drop a note, absolutely, to make some cookies and wear a mask, and to wear a mask. Good gosh. Yes. Please wear a mask. Check out the vaccine. The numbers are not where we'd like to see them as far as people getting the vaccine that can. So if you have any questions, there's answers out there for you about the vaccine and and whether it's a good choice for you or not, but definitely. Any places where you would direct folks to look? Department of Public Health is the best right now. They're, key, they're pretty up to date on when the different – we're still in the phase of 65 and above, our healthcare workers – frontline workers, but I am hopeful that the next phase is coming soon where we can open it up to more. I'm looking forward to getting one in my arm soon. As am I. Yes. As am I. Well, thank you, Michelle. You're really appreciate thank you, you. Thank you. Next week here on the Lewis and Broad podcast, we will be hearing from CASA. CASA is an acronym for Court Appointed Special Advocate. And we'll be hearing a little bit about the work that they do. We'll be having a guest with us next week named Viney Shank, who works with CASA. They do amazing work. So look forward to hearing about all that they do. And if you have any thoughts or questions about what you've heard here today, or if you have any thoughts or questions about CASA or about anything that we've done, please do not hesitate to reach out to us, as I said, via our website or via our social media. Again, thank you for tuning in. And as always, remember who and whose you are. We hope you have a great, great week, everybody. See you later. See you now. Thanks for joining us this week on Lewis and Broad. Make sure to visit our website at fpclagrange.org slash lewisandbroad where you can read our articles and subscribe to our show in iTunes and Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Until next time.